been said, I'm married to Nick, and we've got three children, Joel, Jemima, and Amelie. had to think, then I wasn't sure as I said them all. <laughs> Getting old. My memory is starting to go a bit. Um, anyway, who's got their Christmas lights on? My spreadsheet tells me that it's about 31 days until Christmas. Who's got their decorations up yet? No one. That does surprise me. Normally, we have a few in November. I think November's too early, I have to say. Kenneth, my dad, was a school teacher. And so we, um, we never put our decorations up until the school holiday started. And there was a reason for that, because we, um, we borrowed the school decorations. So we had to wait for the school decorations to come down before we could, we could put ours up. It's wise. It was wise. Um, anyway. Um, we had one of Jemima's friends come round to play recently, and she stayed for dinner. And uh, as we were chatting over dinner, I, I just asked her the question, so what's on your Christmas list this year? And she, um, she, the usual sort of things like arts and crafts and chocolates and sweets and the old Lego and things like that. And then she said, there's, there's just one thing on there that I'm not going to tell you about. It, it's, it's, it's just too expensive. I said, ooh. So she intrigued me, so I, I poked a bit more, and we, uh, we, we eventually found out that on her Christmas list, she had these, uh, she'd asked her mum and dad to give her tickets to the Caribbean island of Cuba. <laughs> Recognising that this little girl is eight years old, <laughs> Cuba seemed a bit extravagant and a bit, um, but she wanted to take the whole family to uh, Cuba. Um, I thought this was brilliant. I chatted to her mum about it afterwards, and her mum also thought this was rather extravagant, but it was a nice wishful thinking. But it just got me thinking, this time of year is a great opportunity, isn't it, to, to look ahead to the festive season in front of us, which is Christmas, uh, where God gave the most extravagant gift ever was, gave us the amazing gift of Jesus. And why did he do it? He did it because he was compelled by love. His love for us, he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to, to this earth. And I believe if we truly grasp, truly grasp how much he loves us individually, it transforms us. It transforms our love for him. It transforms our love for one another. But it also transforms the way that we perceive the outside world, our love for the outside world. So this morning... We're going to look at um, God's love for us individually. And uh, before we do, I just want to say a huge thank you to anybody who's involved in kids' work here. If you're involved in kids' work, just raise your hand. Come on, don't be shy. Let's give them a round of applause. I really believe we've got some great children's workers here. We've got, as Josephine said earlier, we've got some great uh, kids, a great number of kids here at Hope. And uh, our children's workers do a great job at just investing in them, investing in their lives, telling them more about Jesus so that they grow and um, have their own relationship with Jesus. And it's great, it was great just to pray for them this morning, the, the children. And the, and the reason I say that is because a couple of years ago, my Emily, she was in Shining Stars. And uh, in each of the groups, they're given like a Bible verse each, uh, we, each month to learn and, and just to take in. And uh, my little Amelie, she was walking around the house reciting this Bible verse over and over and over again. And it's a Bible verse I knew, but I don't don't know, something about her just speaking it out around the house really sunk into me. So rather than me reading the verse we're going to look at this morning, I've asked Amelie to do it. We've had technical problems this morning, um, so you might have to just turn your heads like that to to watch it. 
Um, and hopefully you can hear the, the voice. It, it was a bit quiet on my phone. So if we're ready, guys. Has shown us how much he loves us. Whilst we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, verse 8. One more time. But God has shown us how much he loves us. Whilst we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, verse 8. She was reciting that for months and months and months. And I just thought it was brilliant. Um, and so I asked her to do it again yesterday. But if you didn't catch that, the verse was, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we are still sinners, Christ died for us. What an amazing verse. And I'm going to give you a bit of homework this week. We don't often give homework. But this week, I'm going to ask you, go and learn that verse if you don't know it already. Go and let it soak into your soul, soak into your heart that God demonstrates his love for us in this. I love the verse. And the first two words of that verse are key to me. It opens with, but God. But God. And to fully understand the significance of these two words, we have to go back just slightly to the two preceding verses where it says in Romans 5, 6 to 8, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will a man, sorry, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And those two words, but God, speak volumes to me. But God, motivated by love. Motivated by love. We were his enemies. We were far off from God. But God intervened. God in his mercy intervened. God in his grace intervened. God knew what we would be like. God knew everything about us before the world began. And yet, but God intervened. Why? Because of his great love for us. Now, Nick was out the other night, and uh, so I took the opportunity to watch one of my favorite films. Please don't judge me. Um, it is a classic from the 90s. Um, it's some dodgy English accents in it, but it is the film Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Now, I love the, I love the story. I love to play Robin Hood with my brothers and sisters when I was younger. And, uh, and the, the film's great. And if, if those of you don't know it, it stars Kevin Costner. We might have a picture. Have we got a picture? Kevin Costner and Morgan Freeman. Now, Kevin Costner's Robin Hood. And, uh, and he's trying to set the, his people free from the oppression of the Sheriff of Nottingham. And at, at the end of the film, there's this great battle where... Uh, Sheriff of Nottingham has captured a lot of Robin Hood's men and also Lady Marion, sorry, Lady Marion, who Robin is in love with. Um, and so they're inside the castle. Robin and his men are outside the castle. The, the gates are closed. There's no way in. So here they are. They decide to get onto this catapult and their aim is they're going to fly themselves over the wall. Now, every time I watch this film, I, I, I think there's a lot of risk in, in that moment. Firstly, have they judged the uh, the angle right? Are they going to actually clear the wall or are they going to go smash straight into that wall and just die? Secondly, if they do clear the wall, what are they going to land on the other side? Who knows what the other side of that wall was? They didn't know. And thirdly, there's great risk the other side. There's, there's lots of um, battles to be fought, lots of people there waiting with swords and bows and arrows and lots of fire and things like that. So there's lots of risk and potential death the other side. So as they're sat on this catapult, 
our friend Morgan Freeman turns to Robin, talking about Lady Marion. He says, is she worth it? So Robin, without, without hesitation, he says, worth dying for. And he gives the nod and they fly off over the wall and a battle ensues. And it's quite interesting, isn't it? it for me, it just reminded me that that verse earlier on in Romans 5, 7, where it says, possibly for a good man, someone might be prepared to die. Now, Robin Hood, he knew Lady Marion. He was in love with Lady Marion. He knew that she was good. He knew that she was worth it. He was prepared to lay down his life for her. But God is different. We were enemies of God. We were distant from God. We, we were full of sin. And yet, but God intervened. But God, in his love, was prepared to lay down his life for each one of us. And it just, to me, speaks of an unexplainable, unquestionable, totally extravagant love that God has for each of us individually. John 3.16 reminds us that one of the most famous verses in the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. Now, if I was to ask two questions... Uh, rhetorically, so don't feel you have to put up your hands. But if I was to ask you the question, how many people here know that God loves them? I'd probably expect quite a positive result. Most people would put their hands up probably. But if I was to ask you the question, how many of you believe that God loves you? There may be a different result. You see, there's a massive difference between knowing and believing in your heart that God loves you. And I I really believe if you truly understand and truly believe in your heart that God loves you, it has an amazing impact upon your life and the world around us. Sometimes there's a danger when we sit in a congregation like this and we hear the words, God loves you. Some of us may think, that's the collective you. And God's not actually speaking to me. Some of you may think, if you truly knew me, you wouldn't say that God loved me. Some of you may battle with shame or with your past and say, God can't love me. But I love the fact that God made us all individuals. We're all unique. We've all got a unique DNA. We've all got a unique fingerprint. To me, that speaks volumes that God has made us uniquely an individual. And as a result, I believe that God loves us individually. There's a collective he loves us. There's an individual, he loves us. So when Jesus died on the cross, when he went to the cross for each one of us, he said, I'm doing this for you. That's not the collective you, that's the individual you. So he says to me, Jonathan Davidson, I'm dying on this cross for you. I'm taking your sin, I'm taking your shame, I'm taking your punishment. Brian Bevin, I did this for you. Each one of us in this room, he speaks to us, I did this for you. Not the collective, but the you, the individual. I'm carrying your sin. I'm carrying your shame and I'm taking it to the cross. His love for us is unique. His love for us is personal. So let me ask you that question again. Do you believe that God loves you individually? 
Do you believe that Christ died on the cross for you? We sang that song earlier, that um, reckless love. And one of the, I won't sing it, don't worry. Um, One of the lines is, he left the 99 for the one. And it just speaks of God's love. It was a story that Jesus told. He had a shepherd with a hundred sheep. And that shepherd was prepared to leave the 99 in search of the one. And that's what he says to each of us. I'm prepared to leave the 99 to come in search of you. He pursues us with his love. But I believe to really receive that, it's a work of the Holy Spirit and revelation from God that he loves us individually. I'd argue that the the devil's greatest weapon is to try and stop you believing that and tell you you're unworthy or tell you you're not good enough, speak lies over you. But I, I really believe if you truly understand that Jesus loves you, it gives you such a joy. A peace that surpasses all understanding, an assurance and a certainty that just transforms you. Now, some of us may have a perception of God that, um, that because of your experience of love, or you may perceive God through the, the Old Testament eyes in terms of that God was angry and distant. But this, the same God is through the whole of the Bible, the same God in the New Testament as he is in the Old Testament. And God's wrath in the Old Testament was against sin, against the thing that stops us really experiencing the fullness of God's love. So when God was angry, he was angry with sin. And so when Jesus died on the cross, he took that punishment, he took that sin for each of us. And so, like I said, I believe, really believing that God loves us starts with revelation. And one of my favorite prayers in in the Bible is in Ephesians 3.17, where it says, where Paul was writing to the Ephesians church and he says, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. What a prayer. What a prayer that we may be rooted and grounded in love. That we may know the love that surpasses all understanding. And I love that verse because it, it just, it, I kind of, I can relate. I don't know why, but it's kind of the way my mind works. But it covers all bases with all dimensions there. The, the width of his love. I love the picture of Jesus on the cross with his hands open wide. And it, to me, it just says, it, my love is open to all. There are no conditions. There's no limitations. All are welcome. All are, all are welcome. Come to me. My arms are open wide. But also it reminds me of um, a verse in Psalms where it says, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. His love is so wide. He says, I, I've taken your punishment. I've taken your sin. I've taken, I've removed it. And it's as far away as it can ever be. It's done. He's a total forgiving God. I love the fact that he says he remembers your sins no more. His love is so wide. It's done. It's dealt with. But I also love the fact that it says the length of his love. And the length of his love is longer than we can get our heads around. He's loved us from eternity to eternity. He knew us before the world began. He knew us before creation. And he loved us. It says in Psalm somewhere that he knew us in our mother's womb. He knew you before you were formed. He knew you and loved you. 
it says in Psalms 136 that his love endures forever. His love endures forever. If you read that psalm, it's amazing. It just keeps coming back to his love endures forever. His love is longer than we can get our heads around. It's constant. It's unconditional. It's unchanging. It's unwavering. It's steadfast. His love endures forever. Regardless of how we live our lives. Regardless if we mess up from time and time and time. His love endures forever. It's not dependent upon us. His love endures forever. But also, it speaks of the height of his love. When Jesus died for us on the cross, he said that we become justified. When we believe in him, we're made right before God. We are righteous. But what I love about it, it doesn't stop there. In Ephesians 2, it says we are now seated with Christ on high. We're seated in the heavens with him. There's nothing that can rob us of that. We are seated with Christ in glory and we will be with him forever. We will be in the presence of the king for a whole of eternity. That's where we are seated. That's the heights of his love. But also, it speaks of the depths of his love. And we've covered this to some degree, but it doesn't hurt to repeat it in that Jesus was sat with the right hand of the Father. They were together. They'd been together for the whole of time. They were in close relationship. But they knew that they had to intervene. Like we said, but God. He knew that he had to intervene. He had to descend to earth. He had to come. And he didn't come to some rich palace like we know. Those of us who are parents are very much probably looking forward to the nativity plays that are coming soon. Where we get the picture of the nativity with Jesus in a stable with all the sheep and the pickings and noses and all of that going on. Um, but that great picture of Jesus coming down. He didn't come to a rich place or to live a, a wonderful life. He came and he lived an everyday life. He was a carpenter. He worked hard. He gave, it, he gave up the glory of heaven to come to earth. And not did he stop there. He went to the cross. He took our shame. And it, I love the way that Philippians 2 says it. He says, Who in being very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to hold on to. But he made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, humbling himself and becoming obedient to death. That was the depth of Jesus' love. He came, he left glory to come and rescue us. But God has shown us how much he loves us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I love all those different dimensions and characteristics of God's love. And I believe as, as we really grasp them, as we have that revelation from the Holy Spirit, it changes us, it transforms us. I love the hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, written by Isaac Watts. And it kind of summarizes it to me. It says, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my riches gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love mingle down. Did ever such love and sorrow meet or thorns compose so rich a crown? Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love, so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. I believe when we've seen in our heart how much Jesus loves us, there's only one response. And that's love back to the King. That's love back to Jesus. There's only one response. And that's worship for him. 
when we've seen, like Isaac Watts has seen, it changes everything. You want to live a life of worship. You want to live a life of love to our King. And so when we serve here at church or at Hope or serve our King, we don't serve for love. We serve from a position of love. We don't serve for identity. We already have our identity. We're seated with the King. We don't serve for approval. He's already said you're approved. It's been done. So we don't serve for love. We are loved. So it changes our perception. It changes our outlook. The king says to us, you are my beloved. You're my beloved son. You're my beloved daughter. A beloved is someone that is treasured, adored, cherished, highly valued. That's what Jesus speaks over you. And it's interesting when Jesus was with his disciples, he was going to wash their feet. And Peter said, no, not me, Lord. Let me wash yours. But Jesus said, no, you've got to receive my love to be able to give it. We've got to receive his love to be able to give it away. Another aspect of God's love, it says in the Bible, perfect love casts out fear. And if you're anxious or fearful, and it can, it can be quite crippling in, in your life. It can have quite a big impact on your life. But God wants to deal with that. He wants, to, he wants you to know that you are loved, that you've got total assurance with him. You've got total peace with him. And allow his love to minister to that fear and to deal with that fear in your life. Okay. So let's just get a little bit Practical. Um, if I can. I've tried to be practical, but I'm not sure it is, but we'll try. So, um, first point would be, allow God's perfect love to transform you. And the way you do that is spend time receiving his love. Just spend time in his presence. Spend time meditating on some of those verses that we've, we've heard about today. His love endures forever. That he gave his son for us. Soak in the truth. Soak in the, the reality of what he speaks over each one of us. Secondly, respond in love. When you, when you receive that revelation, like I said, once you receive the truth and you believe it in your heart, it comes out in love for him. It comes out in worship. It comes out in prayer. It comes out in whatever way that you express your love to God. But make time to express your love to God. I believe that we like to hear how much we're loved. And I believe God wants to hear that he's loved. And so that comes out with acti- um, actively speaking out our love for him. Those of you who grew up in the 90s, there's a few of us here, you may have known a band called DC Talk. Not many. DC Talk were a, a nice rock band. Love is a verb. Thank you, Jim. Yes, they, one of their big ones was Jesus Freak. Check it out when you get home. Um, but, but one of their verbs, sorry, one of their songs was called Love is a Verb. And um, obviously when I was at school, we were told a verb is a doing word, is active, is an action. And so you receive God's love, but then you've got to act, haven't you? you can't, it's not just about speaking, it's about acting out God's love. So like I said, when you receive God's love, I believe you can give it away. And that's what God wants us to do. It says in John 13, 34 to 35, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. 
what will shape us, what will characterize us as a church. I don't believe it's the preaching. I don't believe it's the miracles that we do. I don't believe it's the, the prayers that we pray or the songs that we sing. I think the thing that will define us as God's people will be our love for one another. The community that we have here at Hope it has to be grounded and centered in love. So that means about having good relationships with one another. Sometimes we fall out every now and then, and that's okay. But let's ensure that we are building each other up in love and we're dealing with relationships issues quickly and we're loving one another. I believe that applies to family relationships. You husbands, it says in Ephesians 5, love your wives as Christ loved the church. What did that mean? That meant laying down his life for the church. So we as husbands, that means lay down your life for your wives. Give it up and she'll know that she's loved. I also believe that wives, the same applies to you. Lay down your lives for your husbands in love. Same can we say for parents and children. Demonstrate your love for each other by laying down your lives for each other. It's, it's a practical thing. It's an active thing. One of the hard ones that Jesus put out there, and it's one we've got to try and work on, is a love your enemy. And that's, that, that, that's a difficult one, isn't it? Who is our enemy? I don't know. There could be many different enemies in our lives. It could be the boss that just makes our day-to-day life just rubbish. It could be the colleague who just persecutes you for being a Christian. It could be family members. It could be, I don't know, neighbours on your street that just make your life horrendous. But Jesus says, love your enemy. Love speaks so, so highly. So that means praying for your enemies, blessing your enemies, praying for them. And lastly... I believe love transforms the way that we serve, like I've said. When we know we're loved, we want to respond in love. And so therefore, we, when we approach serving here, it's not out of a sense of obligation. We don't serve in the kids' work because we feel obliged. We don't put the chairs out in the morning because we feel obliged. We don't do all the other bits and bobs that happen here at Hope to make it work because we're obliged. We're doing it as an act of worship. We're doing it because we love our King. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's difficult. But, it, but we're expressing our love for the king in actively being involved. And an element of that is sometimes to serve, we have to step out of our comfort zone and do things that we're probably not that more comfortable with. But you know what? It's okay when we mess up. It's okay when we get things wrong. When we love each other, we can mess up. We can get things wrong. It's okay because we love each other. I'm going to invite the band back up. If they're around, I'll let G.R. Jane choose which song she wants to sing. But, um, but I just, I wanted to finish. I wanted to finish where I started. Back at that verse in Romans 5 verse 8. We're about to approach the Christmas season, which is the greatest picture of God's love. Josephine mentioned it at the beginning in terms of our Christmas services we've got in December. It's a great opportunity to invite people along and for them to know something of the message of love that God has given us. But also, I just want to read that verse again. But I'm going to change the word slightly and change it from the, the plural to the singular. And I want all of us to hear this morning 
God speaking to us each individually. Where he says, but God demonstrates his own love for you in this. While you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. Let's just close our eyes a moment. Father, we just say thank you that you've spoken those words to us, each individually. Father, there may be here, some here this morning that are struggling with shame. That feel unlovable. If only you really knew. The truth is, Father, you do know. You know all things. And you say, I love you. Some may be struggling with a sense of unworthiness. I'm not worthy of his love. And Jesus wants to tear down that lie this morning. He wants to say, you are worthy. You are worthy. I love you. I love you because I love you because I love you because I love you. I love you. Father, I just pray, Holy Spirit, come Lord Jesus. And just give us a fresh revelation of your love this morning. A fresh revelation of how much you gave up for each one of us. You descended to the depths of this earth that we might ascend to the heights of heaven. You carried the weight of our shame for each one of us. And so we just want to say thank you. We want to respond in worship. We want to say, Lord, you, you, we love you. We love you, Lord Jesus. And Father, I just pray that you stir our hearts that we may express that love. We may express it in our worship, in our praise, in our day-to-day. Father, we may give you the glory that's due your name. So, Father, I just pray, come this morning. Come, Lord Jesus. I'm going to invite the band to to pray, sorry, to play. And uh, we're going to take this opportunity to take communion. And the communion is just that great reminder of the cross. It's that great reminder of what Jesus did for us, each of us on the cross. So it's a great opportunity to just come, take the bread, his body broken for each one of us, his blood shed for each one of us, that we might be cleansed. So let's just take this opportunity. And I I encourage you, if you are feeling unloved, if you're feeling a sense of shame, it's a great opportunity to just get someone to pray with you. If you don't know Jesus this morning, it's a great opportunity to come and say, Lord Jesus, I want to know something of that love. I want to know you. So I'll hand over to the band. And there's a table at the front and a table, at, there's a couple of tables at the behind. Let's take communion and share that together. Thank you.
So we've just got, we have got a few minutes. The kids will be back in about five minutes. And um, just a great talk, you know, and it's really moving. And if you feel you want to respond uh, or ask somebody to pray with you or to talk to you about what's going on in your life, because um, the love of God is overwhelming and, and it isn't just heard with, the, with our ears. It's felt with our heart uh, through the Holy Spirit. Uh, so I just want to encourage you to respond to him and say, God, show me. Show me your love. And uh, I want to pray for us as we close and, and um, that God would just show us uh, his love. And, and it's impossible to experience that and not be moved and not be overwhelmed. Uh, so Father, we ask you that you would, through your Holy Spirit, you take these wonderful words that John so well presented to this morning. Uh, Holy Spirit, and would you reveal to our hearts the truth of them and the impact of them. Thank you that we have nothing to prove to you because you loved us when we weren't good enough. Just pray for that, that revelation in our hearts to be a foundation on which we build our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like, I'd like just before we do, so do feel free, grab someone and chat to someone and get some prayer before you go. But um, Richard's off to Uganda today uh, for two weeks and will be um, teaching at a conference um, so there'll be a regional conference they'll be teaching on upcountry. We'll just call it that. We don't quite know where it is, but it's upcountry, which means it'll be in a more rural setting, uh, and it will be churches coming from quite a wide area coming together um, to uh, hear God's word and to meet with God, and Richard will be speaking at that. And then in the second week, uh, he will be speaking um, and training pastors. So there's, a, there's an ongoing church planting program uh, in Uganda and East Africa, and, uh, and and we're partnering with that church to train this year. Richard's uh, helped that course that they do become accredited by Moreland's Bible College. And that's been a fair bit of work, but quite exciting. Um, so we'll be doing that teaching as well uh, when he's there. So can we just can we just reach our hands and just pray for Richard? Uh, Lord Jesus, we just want to thank you for Richard. Uh, thank you for his gift. Thank you for his gift to us. Uh, Lord, we want to be generous with that gift and, and, and send him, Lord, uh, uh, with our blessing, uh, God, to Uganda. And we just pray for this trip to be fruitful. Pray that you give him uh, uh, protection as, the, as he travels, uh, God, both to and from Uganda, but also in the country. Uh, just pray for a really great time of fellowship. And we pray that there will be individuals and churches, uh, God, that are impacted powerfully by the message this week and these next two weeks. In Jesus' name, amen. Great. Thanks. We're done.